St. John has a rich history. It's been around for 165 years. The theme of the school this year is, is passing on the legacy of faith. And if you're related to a Dirk or a Zachridge or a Stork or any of the other families that have been here four or five generations, you know what passing on the legacy of faith is all about. You know what that means if you're here. Maybe, maybe even if you're a second generation, you know what, what passing on the legacy of faith is all about. Then there's, there's definitely something worth praising, worth recognizing in all of that. It's an awesome thing when you see grandparents and parents and grandchildren and, and great-grandchildren worshiping together. It's an awesome thing. But it's not necessarily the, the norm today. See, we, we don't always live in, in that kind of culture and world anymore. But in ancient culture, that was more often than not the case. You, you stayed with the faith of your fathers. The faith and the tribe that your father was a part of was your tribe and was your faith, and you didn't leave that culture. You didn't go into some other community. You didn't join another people group. You didn't start believing in another god. Although Israel was prone to take on other gods that weren't really gods at all, but that's a whole other sermon. And so here we are. And as we hear the words from Ruth today, we hear this story. And it's so compelling, so significant. Why? Because Ruth was a foreigner. She was from another tribe. She was a Moabite woman who married in to the Israelite family. And all Ruth experiences is tragedy. Everything for this family falls apart. But Ruth has heard the story of the living God, of the true God, and she says she's going to stay with this family. See, what always amazes me in this story is Naomi. She's the mother, the mother-in-law of Ruth. And she has a right to be angry and bitter. You know, her husband and her two sons have just died. But she, she tells Orpah and Ruth, go home. Leave the living God. Go back to your gods. Go back to where you came from. Uh, abandon the true God. That, that always shocks me every time I hear it. It always shocks me. See, we shouldn't be, I'm not, I'm not faulting Naomi for feeling bitter, for feeling angry, for feeling resentful. When you lose your husband and your two children, when the cancer comes, when a child dies or, or a loved one dies in your life, you have the right to be angry, to be frustrated, to be resentful. Because that's not what we were created for. That's not what God intended. He didn't intend for us to have this suffering, this pain, this death. And we know what he intends from the garden and from the picture in Revelation of a life without tears, a world without death and pain and suffering. So we experience it in this life. It is okay to vent to God and say that you are frustrated, that you are angry, that you are bitter. As Naomi tells the people in, in Bethlehem when they return to call her, she says, my name is no longer Naomi, but Mara, which means bitter, because I'm angry with God. I don't fault her for that. What does surprise me, what does shock me, is that Naomi, who knows the living God, should have remembered the history of Israel. 
She should have known about how God had delivered the people from slavery in the land of Egypt. How he had parted the waters for the nation of Israel to walk through. How he had fed them and cared for them in the wilderness. How he had brought them into the the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. How he had delivered nations greater and stronger than them by his mighty hand. She should have known the story. She should have known her people's history. But she's forgotten. She's become complacent. It's become old hat. See, the problem is that sometimes the same thing happens to you and me. We've heard the gospel so many times that the fact that we're claimed as children of God, the fact that we're forgiven, the fact that we're redeemed, the fact that he is on our side just becomes something we shrug our shoulders at. It's old hat, old news. All of a sudden, our faith that has been passed down, we're just doing it because, well, that's what our parents did. You know, it's not a big deal. I show up on Sunday, I check off the box of, of giving my hour to Jesus. I've got my golden ticket to the new creation. Everything's all good. But it's not really your faith anymore. And, and the more you, you think about it, the more you realize that that you might confess to your lips, Jesus is Lord. But you leave this place and your words, your thoughts, your actions don't really reflect that truth anymore. It's just some empty box you check off on a Sunday. That's what people do in the Bible Belt. That's what people do in Defiance, Ohio. We, we go to church. And so I go to church. But all of a sudden your faith is blasé. The God you believe in is blasé. He, he might have control to give you the ticket out of this life, but he's not really, doesn't have an impact in your day-to-day life. As you come here and you go through worship and you read the confession and you, you might parrot the words back, but you're not really thinking about what you're actually saying. You're not actually confessing your sin anymore or reflecting on how unworthy you are of God's grace. And you hear the words of absolution that God sent his son to die for you and on account of his blood and on his love and mercy, you are forgiven. But all of a sudden, it's just shrugging the shoulders. Don't worry, pastor. I've already heard it before. I already, I already know the story. I already know the gospel. Suddenly, the gospel looks like this plate of food. It, it's gray. It has all the nutrients, but it has no flavor, no color. It's not that exciting. It's just this, this dull, this dull message. All of a sudden, you're you're the one sleeping at church. You're sitting there, you're, you're daydreaming through the message. All you've caught, you realize, is the opening sentence and the amen. But it's time to stand up for the next hymn, so better get up for the confession. But it's okay. I've heard 40 Easter sermons in my life. I've heard 40 lost sheep sermons in my life. I've heard the Christmas story. I already know the message. Don't worry, pastor. I've already got the gospel. We become complacent. We forget the beauty of this message. We become like the Naomi of this story. But Ruth, Ruth on the other hand, has this amazing, bold faith. She's caught fire. See, she's heard the story of the living God, the God who delivers, the God who saves. She's heard this story. She hasn't seen the salvation. All she has seen is the brokenness of life. And yet she clings to this faith, to the story she's heard of. She's willing to cast aside the Moabite gods who have never done anything and cling to the faith in the living and active God who has delivered the people of Israel, who has claimed them, called them holy and chosen. That God is who's going to be her God. 
Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. I want a faith like that. I want a God like that. As a Ruth steps out, she, she casts aside the faith of her fathers. And I'm, I'm not telling you to cast aside the faith that's been handed down to you. But what I am saying is that you need to own your faith. Your faith needs to be your own faith. Not just the faith of your parents or those who have come before you. It needs to be your faith, your belief, your hope, your salvation. See, Ruth is this amazing, bold woman who in the spite of circumstances that would, would lead you to believe otherwise, she finds faith in the true God. See, it's kind of like those people that, that you meet sometimes in life who come to faith later in life. You know, if you've ever met those kind of people that, that have hit rock bottom and they found the gospel, or they've been working so hard to prove themselves, to prove that they're worthy, to prove that they're loved, to prove that they are worthwhile. And all of a sudden they realize that God has told them they are loved with an unconditional love. And their life is transformed. They're the people that you meet on the street that cannot wait to tell everybody about the God they know, about the hope that they have, about the salvation they have found. They want to share the good news. The gospel in their lives is living and active. It means everything to them. So come hell or high water, no matter what comes, no matter what circumstances come, no matter what difficulties come, they are clinging to that faith. See, the problem is that for you and I, we've, we've been in the church for so long that sometimes we forget what the gospel truly says to us, what it truly means. We forget the hope we have. And so we, we struggle because we see empty churches. We hear the stats of churches dying, of millennials and Gen Xers leaving the faith, and we wonder, you know, we want to hand down the legacy of faith to our children. That's, that's a theme for the school year, but all of a sudden we realize we're, more, we're a lot more like the church in Acts. You know, I don't know if you know this, but USA is the third largest mission field in the world. Third largest mission field in the world. See, we suddenly feel this hopelessness. We, we realize, man, I don't have to just pass the, le- the, the legacy of faith on to my, my children, but to my brother and sister, to my neighbors, to my, my classmates, to my coworkers who don't know the gospel. And we start to feel that pressure, and we wonder, Jesus, are you abandoning the church here? Have you given up? Is all hope lost? Well, that's when we need to take a step back. We need to look at the statistics from around the world. And these are the number of Christians across the globe as of 2010, according to what, whatever surveys we could find. And so they're not 100% accurate, but they're, they give us a good estimate. And I want you to realize this. Christianity is still the fastest growing faith in the world. God is still moving. His church is living and active. It is dynamic. Hear hear this. 106 years ago, 1910, how many Christians do you think there were in Africa? What percentage of the population? 10% of, of the population of Africa was Christian. 106 years ago. Do you have any idea what it is today? 106 short years later. I can't give you an actual number, but the last number I could find was over 50% of the population of Africa is now Christian. The Christian population of Africa is growing by 2.76% per year. There's over 500 million Christians in Africa. That means it's growing by nearly 12 million, 12, 13 million per year. 
Our God is not dead. He is moving. But you see, when you meet those kind of people, when you meet people that have come to faith later in life, those people who have found the hope of the gospel, they can't help but share it. They can't help but spread that truth. And we want to be like that, but, but suddenly we, we don't even, we know the truth of the gospel, but we don't know how to articulate it anymore. We don't know how to share that hope we have. So we wonder, what, well, how do, I, how do I make that next step of sharing the gospel? Or how do I get that living and dynamic faith that I see in those kind of people again? Because obviously God gives it to us. But, but I don't feel quite like that person that just found that, that truth again. Well, it starts by asking questions. Oh, sorry, it starts by being authentic. See, we need to get back to an authentic Christianity. And, and that's kind of a, a buzzword these days is authenticity. But it means that as, as a church, our salvation or, or the, the turning point for our church isn't going to be finding another program or system or scheme that will work. See, sometimes we get caught up and we want to look at the other churches around and we say, like, if we just had a, a youth night like this church, if we just had a praise band like that congregation, if we just had a pastor like him, if we just had a, a gathering space or a sanctuary like them, everything would be fixed. But really, that, that isn't going to change anything. See, what helps a church grow and heal is getting back to authenticity, to the story. See, I, I was reading a report earlier this week about churches across the country and the major cities that are exploding. And to the shock of many people, what is the message that's being preached at these churches? It's not the, the gimmicks of how to live a Christian life. It's not, you know, a feel-good message. They're preaching Christ and Christ crucified. That's the heart of our story. That's what we need to get back to is, is Jesus. See, he's the heart of our faith. He is the heart of what we hope in. He is our salvation. He is our life. He is the only thing we're called to cling to. We need to put Christ front and center again. See, authentic faith is one that, that reads the Gospels, hears those words and says, ask the hard question, what does this mean for my life? What does it mean to forgive when, every, when the other person isn't really sorry for their sins? What does it mean to help the lost and the hurting and the broken, even when they might be taking advantage of you? What does it mean to put the needs of others first? What does it mean to turn the other cheek when they know what they do? What does it mean to say, Father, forgive them? When clearly they know what they're doing. What does it mean to say that kind of truth? That kind of love, that kind of gospel? See, as you start to read through the gospels, you'll probably find some places where, where you're challenged, where it doesn't fall in line with, with your American values or with your Midwest values or your Republican or your Democrat values where it doesn't fit with who you are and where you say you line up. That's okay. That's good. We're all broken. God's word should challenge you. His gospel should call you to try and think about how you're going to live your life. See, there's nothing wrong with, with having doubts and struggles. I've had my share. The bad thing is when you aren't willing to actually look into your faith, to actually ask those questions, to ask the hard questions. When, when somebody says that, that Jesus had children or, or the Gospels are, are one of many accounts, to hear that and give up on your faith, that's the tragic thing, to toss out the faith of generations that's been handed down. What you need to do is ask the hard questions. 
And if you're struggling with doubt, if you're having struggles in your faith, this is a safe place to talk about it. This is a, the place to bring those up. And so if you are having questions, I invite you to, to come and talk to me. Email me. Call me. Let's go out and grab a coffee. This is a safe place to talk about our faith authentically. See, it's only as you dive deeper into those questions that your faith will grow. But as you do that, you also need to be reminded that God is a creator. We're his creatures. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us life. He doesn't owe us salvation. He is not in debt to us. It also means he doesn't owe us the answers to every question. He does promise he'll give us what, he need, what we need, but he doesn't promise that he'll always give us the answers we want. And this is especially true in suffering and in death. See, we, we want to know why, but God's answer to suffering and death often isn't an answer to why, it's, it's look to my son. That's my answer to suffering and death, that he died. He knows where you are, he knows where you've been, but he has overcome death, and so will you. And so we come and, and we hear and he invites us to confess, to take time and pause and to remember our unworthiness before God, but also to hear his grace and his mercy that says, I don't care how bad your sins are, your offenses are, I have forgiven you. My grace, my mercy runs deeper than your sins ever could. God calls us to have this true and authentic faith that comes to him, that asks questions of him. You see, as we do this, we, we still might be wondering, well, how do I get to that, that dynamic living faith that, that the new converts have? How do I get back to that kind of faith? That's what I want. That's what I want my children to have. That's what I've been missing. That's what I've been longing for. Well, you see, there are four things that every Christian needs to be doing. Faith, it is true, is a gift of God, but we also work at it. And so there are four things that every Christian should do, and they're on the back of your sermon notes. They're the spiritual practices for this week, so you can, if you want to write notes, you can put them there. The first is this. We need to read, study, and meditate on Scripture. Scripture is God's word to us. It declares his will. It shares his truth to us. We need to be in his word. We need to hear his story. When you wonder about that question, does God really love me? Or what does God think of me? That's when you go back to the gospel and read the truth of what Jesus has done for you. If you want to know what God thinks of you, see how far Jesus has gone. See how far he's come for you. That's the truth of what God has to say to you. It's a little like this. If, you've, if you're part of the older generation, if you're part of the younger generation, ask your grandparents or, or somebody you knew that did long distance before you know, Skype and before long distance phone calls were cheap and ask them how they communicate with each other. They, I'm, I'm almost guaranteed that they wrote love letters. And if, you, if you're one of those people that has received a love letter, I'm sure when you got it, you read it again and again because you wanted to know what they thought about you, what they had to say to you, what was going on in their lives. Scripture is God's love letter to you. It's his love letter that says, no matter how rebellious you are, no matter how far you have fallen short, my love does not fail. I am coming for you. I am relentless, and I will not leave you behind. Hear God's word. Every verse, Old Testament and New Testament, is about a God who will not give up on you. So the first thing we need to do is be in Scripture. The second thing we need to do is be in worship. Have an active worship life. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not neglect to get gathering together as some are prone to do. See, we're, we're called to be in worship. But you need to be reminded that, that worship isn't about you. It's about God. Worship is a time where you offer praise and thanksgiving for what do, God has done for you, where you receive his blessings, where you offer in thanksgiving 
out of what he has given you. Where you come and you hear his word, you hear his story proclaimed to you, you hear his grace given to you. You remember the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord in Holy Communion. It's a place where we hear God's word spoken to us. At least for me personally, one of the, one of the places that this has hit me hardest lately has been his singing. See, I'm not the best singer. If you happen to read Facebook a little while ago, or a friend of mine, or my wife's, you might have seen a post that we were singing a hymn at home. And she stopped playing, and I continued singing, and she came back in, and she said, you're not playing what I'm, you're not singing what I'm playing. I said, no, 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 you're not playing what I'm singing. I don't know how to keep a tune. I don't know how to sing the right notes. Even though I know how to read music, I can't keep a tune. And if you hear me here, she'll tell you that in the middle of a song, I'll randomly change keys for no apparent reason. I don't know why. I'm not the best singer. But if I'm not willing to sing here in response to what God has done for me, maybe that shows that I'm putting God second in my life. That I'm not willing to give everything I have to him. That I'm worried more about my pride, more about how I look or how I sound, instead of being focused on praising and glorifying the God who has claimed me, who has saved me from the depths of hell, who has said I am valuable, who has said I am loved, and who will not let me go. See, worship isn't something that you should come to begrudgingly once a week. It's a place to hear God's word to you. Even if you're struggling with doubt, even if you don't feel like singing today, it's a time to praise God and give thanks for what he has done, for the fact that he has claimed you and said you are loved. So the first thing we do is read scripture. Second thing we do is we come to worship. The third thing we do is we pray daily and diligently. So God speaks to us in scripture, but he calls for us to speak back to him, to to pray back to our, our heavenly father who cares for us, to bring our concerns, to pray for forgiveness, to give thanksgiving for what he's given to us to pray for our congregation, our community, the concerns on our heart. And he doesn't need some elegant, fancy prayer. It doesn't have to be like the prayers written up front or the prayers in your, in your hymnal. God just wants to hear from you. You are his beloved child, his beloved son or daughter. He wants to hear from you daily. See, this, this has been a struggle for me. I, I struggled to have a strong prayer life. It was about three years ago. I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to be a pastor. I should probably learn how to pray better. And so I started by reading through the Psalms, by reading through the, the Psalms and hearing God's prayer book. See, reading through how the church had prayed to God. In the Psalms, you hear with rawness and authenticity, people wondering where God is, wondering why they've abandoned him, how he could forget them. See, that's how you pray. And so I invite you to start by reading the Psalms and then maybe saying a, a sentence or two afterwards. It's a good place to start your prayer life. You see, now, as I've come here, I've gotten into the habit, and I did have to create a habit. I had to work at it a lot. But I spend the first hour, half an hour to an hour every day in prayer and in scripture reading. And I go through my bookmark, and I pray for the names that I put on the back, for the leadership of this church. I go through the directory, and I pray for each and every one of you by name. Not every day. I don't have that much time. There, there are other jobs I have to do, but, but I work my way through it. I pray for this church, this congregation, this community. And I pray for the other concerns God has put on my heart for the day. See, it's important to be in prayer. So we read scripture. We come to worship. We pray. And we live out. We live a life devoted to clear witness to the gospel and our vocations. And vocation is just a fancy word for our roles, 
or our jobs and daily life. You know, it, and it's not just our work, but our, our vocations are things like parent or child or sibling, brother or sister. It's employee or employer, student, teacher, athlete, coach, whatever it might be. It's the different places we find ourselves. And in all of those, we're called to give glory to God, to put him first, to be that light that shines on a lampstand, to be that city on a hill, to be that salt of the earth that proclaims the gospel by our words and our actions and our thoughts as we live out among other people. See, as you do these four things, as you begin to go into scripture and hear God's word, as you come to worship and praise God, as you pray and have that conversation with God, and as you seek to glorify him in your day-to-day life, your life will be transformed. See, because you'll start to feel the newness, the freshness of that gospel as you realize the depth of your sin and the greater depth of God's grace and what he has done for you. That gospel will have this new life-giving message for you. See, we don't have a complacent, blasé faith that doesn't really offer anything to us. And our faith life isn't some box we check off for an hour on a Sunday. We don't put Jesus in the corner. No. See, our faith in Christ envelops our whole life. It shapes all that we are, all that we do. It defines who we are. It gives us love, certainty, and peace, no matter what comes. As we have this presence, this pardon, and this power that changes our lives, that we can share with those around us. See, we come before the throne like Ruth. And instead of turning to Naomi, we, we turn to Jesus and say, wherever you go, wherever you call, I will follow. And your God will be my God. Your faith needs to be just that, your faith. Amen.